0: One of the most impactful exercises she had me go through was to write down every single job I ever had, every chore I ever had, every place I volunteered, what did I like and dislike about all those different pieces. You know, at the time I was going through all this exercise, I was thinking in my mind, okay, go back to the corporate world, but I'm just going to work on my next certification. When I got through that exercise, I learned some really substantial things about myself. I had needed to return to something that allowed me to build relationships with people. I needed to get back to serving people.
1: In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other.
2: Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every T-shirt sized company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America.
1: Hi. I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palacio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Jennifer Rome. Jennifer is currently a mortgage advisor for Fairway Independent Mortgage Corporation, and she is the co-founder and president of a local nonprofit called The Giving Professional KC. She has an extensive and varied career starting as a dental hygienist, later working as a business analyst, and project manager in a variety of industries. Jennifer is also a breast cancer survivor and is writing a book, working on a podcast, and is preparing for public speaking engagements about her experiences. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Jennifer.
2: Jennifer, uh, welcome to The Corporate Couch.
0: Thank you for having me, Jeff. I'm so excited to be a part of your show.
2: Yeah, no, it's great. Full disclosure, uh, Jennifer and I were in uh, Kay Blonde's weekly uh, coaching, business coaching, I'll say a little bit, life coaching group. I think you you still participate. Is that correct? I do. Yeah. No, I think Kay's great. I, I did that for about a year, and uh, she... She really crystallized a lot of things for me, so that was, she's great. So, uh, yeah, I'm very uh, excited to talk to you. I, I think your career has been amazing. You know, you started as a dental hygienist, went into corporate America, worked for some great companies in, in Kansas City, and then uh, had some things going on personally and health-wise, and COVID hit, lost your job, and then basically went out on your own in the mortgage business, under a uh, fairway mortgage umbrella, but, uh, and then started enough for profit So amazing. So we're going to dig into all that.
0: Uh, well, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's been an interesting journey, just kind of a step at a time. And, um, uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, taking on change is a beautiful thing. So yeah, um, I wouldn't go back and change anything.
2: Yeah, no. And you've done a lot of it. So that's great. So I like to start with some fun questions though. Uh, one, uh, you know, we've been in the the Zoom uh, environment here for three plus years uh, because of the pandemic and COVID. Uh, Any uh, crazy attire you've seen on a professional Zoom call or lack of attire?
0: No, you know, what's interesting is that, um, you know, had I been in the corporate world, I bet, you know, traditional corporate world, I probably would have seen that. But I actually was out and about trying to get my mortgage business established so i was i was out meeting people for coffee and on phone calls and very few zoom calls believe it or not well
2: yeah so uh so tell us a little bit i know you grew up in Kansas City but as a as a child what did you love doing
0: oh goodness uh well i'm an artist at heart believe it or not i very much love photography Decorating, So I was one of those young kids who always was doing something in my bedroom on with the wall or with trinkets and um, all sorts of things like that. And then I, I also was, um, I will say I'm a consummate cheerleader, I absolutely love to cheer other people on and so I was in cheerleading from, gosh, second or third grade um for and on for the next several years so that was quite fun as well
2: now i I have to ask can you do like still do a split backflip any of that good cheerleading stuff
0: (laughs) no in fact (laughs) i just had surgery on my hip for a well so when I wasn't cheerleading they always had me on the left side of the squad because I could kick that leg a lot higher and I never really thought about the reason why well I learned after tearing um my labrum in my right hip that I have uh what's called an impingement so that explains why I could never fully do the splits and I couldn't kick my right leg as high
2: (laughs) oh Jesus! so
0: it's all fixed now, and now I'm convinced in midlife I'm going to get to a place where I can do splits and all that.
2: There you go. <laughs> but you were not a flyer. I, 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 I'm limited no. on my knowledge of Chile, but I know uh, there's the, the kind of lightest person or whatever is the flyer.
0: <laughs> uh, yes, I was always one of the tallest, so I was always a base, and I got to, Great. I got to launch the flyers into the air and then catch them, which was, it was just as fun.
2: Yeah, I definitely if I was a cheerleader and I would definitely be a base if uh, they have males as bases, I don't know. But <laughs> so uh growing up what did you want to be uh when you became an adult?
0: That that's a really hard question to answer. I don't know that as a young child I really thought about it. I know that I you know I knew I was intelligent, always got good grades, I cared about people. My mother was a nurse, so I considered that for actually considered it off and on through even my adult years. But um, I think that I, I ultimately decided that I wasn't sure I was crazy about the the hours and lifting patients and things of that sort. So, um, but I think I always just had people in mind, no matter what I did. And uh, at one point in high school, I took very seriously a couple different routes and neither did I end up pursuing. One was um, interior design. And then the other was actually going on to art school. In fact, my senior year, I had a whole art portfolio put together, was starting to apply for art institutions and then just decided that or art art i'm sorry i started applying for art institutes (laughs) and uh realized how expensive they were and ultimately decided "Eh, i might need to take a little more practical path so now i do art for fun
2: oh there you go when you graduated high school did you go right into you said oh i'm I'm gonna be a dental hygienist because i know that was part of your journey
0: Yeah. So um, I, I didn't, I actually, I went to KU my very first semester and, you know, I would just was, I was always kind of driven, um, pretty independent. So I wasn't afraid to go to school, but I, I was paying for my own college. So as I got to KU, you know, that first, I put a lot of pressure on myself, honestly. And I, I got there and I was a semester in and, and I just could tell how much it was going to cost. I didn't. I wasn't sure I wanted that personal investment. You know, those loans looming over me, and so I worked with their career center and started doing different aptitude tests and interest tests. And you know, then they come back with all these careers that you might consider. And I was always curious about the dental field, but that test kind of came back, and it was one of those careers that you know was kind of top of the list. And so I thought, oh. Okay, let's uh, let's just go see, you know, if it's even an option. And uh, Johnson County Community College, Johnson County Community College had an amazing program, two years and you're out working. And from a very practical sense at that time in my life, it was it was more important for me to feel like I could get out, get established in a career not have the loans and that type of thing are looming over me and then kind of decide from there what was next. And so that's basically what I did. Uh, I stayed in the field for nine years. And then I think about year five or six, I started to kind of get the itch to do something different. And so I only had an associate's degree at the time. And so I thought, okay, well, let's go back and uh get a degree as a working adult that was at a time when there were very few adult education programs Baker had a great program that still allowed me to work full-time and then take classes at night so I ultimately did that and got a, a bachelor's in business administration and started to kind of make a shift from there
2: yeah so what was the urge like uh, you know and I know a little bit about dental hygiene uh hygienist my wife was one for uh 20 plus years and now she's in in, in the corporate uh, world uh, today but uh like did you say I want more you know what what was the the urge
0: there were a few different things uh from a practical sense i i could tell that my hands and my neck, neck and back were not going to handle the career f- full time for the rest of my life and so you know i loved patient care i just you know, I, I knew it was, wasn't going to be in dental hygiene from that perspective. Then secondly, dental hygiene, I mean, it is fantastic work, but it also is very kind of rote. It's the same thing every day. And, you know, as I got into it, I started to learn about myself that I, I like change. I almost thrive in taking on new challenges and learning like one of my highest aptitudes. I don't know if you've ever done the Gallup. Um, is it called strengths finder? Yes. Like my top skill is learner. So I very quickly just I just started to kind of get restless. And so that was another piece of it. And then the third piece was that I started to figure out, I wanted a little more flexibility in my day. You know, when you're, when you're in patient care, you, your schedule's set and it's set six months in advance. And so there are some limitations there that I started to just, I didn't want to get to a place where I resented it. I wanted to kind of accept that, you know, the field was the way it was. It was great. It served its purpose and kind of use it as a launching pad into the next thing. Yeah. So
2: you, okay. So you do that, uh, I really want to ask you, who was the craziest patient you ever had and what did they do? But um, if you want to answer that one, you can or we'll move on.
0: <laughs> oh, goodness. You know, I, I love people, so I don't know if I could really say anyone's. Well, I will say this. I was I was invited on an international trip with a patient. Um <laughs>
2: Okay. Quickly
0: shut that one down. So that was probably the craziest experience. Um,
2: uh, that that was, story will be at the corporate couch uh, special after dark edition uh, podcast <laughs> episode coming up here uh, next month. No I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> then you get a job. You go right. Um, you're a hygienist. You get your degree at Baker, and you go to Argus Health Systems. So tell us, how did you get that job? I mean, all you have on your resume is basically, you know, a a ten, nine, ten 10-year career as a hygienist. So that's great that you navigate into, uh, you know, Argus, I believe at that time was part of DST. So, you know, really good company.
0: Yes. So a couple pieces there. Number one, I had the pleasure of serving for a um, well-known pediatric dentist in the area and we'll back up for a second. So first of all, my my former spouse was a software engineer. So his social circle was a lot of people who worked in the corporate world. My, my social circle was not, but we just started kind of putting out there, hey, I'm getting my degree. I'm exploring options one of his connections worked at Argus health systems. And then the second piece of it is that, um, well, so I, he basically submitted my resume and I, you know, I was kind of pigeonholed into certain like low end customer service jobs. I don't think there was an understanding of really kind of the qualities that make up a, a dental hygienist. And so through some networking and help from a, a specific person that was at Argus Health Systems, they ended up getting my resume over to a special team called the Pharma Group. And the Pharma Group specifically worked with smaller um copay assistance type programs. And the woman who led that team happened to be a parent of some of the children at the pediatric dentist office. So when she saw where I worked, she immediately kind of put two and two together. And she was like, I want to interview her. And so the rest is history. She and I are still great friends and I, I owe a lot to her.
2: You know, I love that story because, you know, it's how you treat people no matter what profession you're in. And it's not that you want it to lead to something, but you just want to do the right thing and treat people with respect and kindness. And, you know, you have that caring mentality. You know, that's why you went into the healthcare profession and and your your mom was a nurse and all that type of thing. So, you know, it takes a, a, a special type of person to do that. And, and, but what's interesting, I think, when I look at your career is like, okay, you just talked about, you know, applying for art institute, you know, because you, you, your creative side, whether it's interior design or photography or things like that. And then you go into, um, the healthcare profession. And then you're, when I look at your career, it's, you're doing a lot of IT liaison, project management, technical things, you know, your Oracle, NetSuite, ERP. So how did you like, you know, tell me how did you get in? I mean, I we you got into it because of Argus, but you're in, in this field now that's, you know, very technical, detailed oriented, less creative, I would say, but. Tell us that story.
0: Yeah, and you know, there there's a lot of truth to that. I I think because I am detail oriented and I I have aptitudes in you know kind of math logic type things. Um, you know, I always loved the sciences, so all of that was c- kind of natural. So you know, as clients asked questions or as managers needed information. I was never afraid to just get into the database. I'd started learning like SQL just because I wanted to be able to answer my own questions. I didn't want to be dependent on somebody else. I wanted to kind of be like a jack of all trades. And you know, the other thing with the team that we we were on, it was like this small little, we always said we were the redheaded stepchild because it was a small little group that really wasn't a part of Argus's core business. Um, it's, it's grown quite a bit. And now it's, it's a, it's a bigger, has a bigger presence, but because we were small, we didn't always get the attention that say a big, you know, a a big client would get. And so we had to be savvy and problem solve. And, and so I kind of fell into it. And then I had a teammate who was Uh, very technical. And so she taught me a lot. And then that just kind of snowballed into other opportunities at other companies. And, you know, I just, I'm always one to grow and learn and change. And I want to understand, um, I feel strongly that I can be a better proponent and a better um, I, I can provide better service if I understand. And so I'm not afraid to jump into details.
2: So, your need for change and learning is that what led you? I think you had almost a maybe around a four year run at Argus to make you move on to uh, the, your next experience at the NAIC, National Association for Insurance Commissioners.
0: Yeah, it was at that point, Argus was they had a few rounds of layoffs and I again was kind of getting the itch to do something, something more, um, to get exposed to more, and I kind of felt like, okay, maybe it's time to to go check out another company. So what I learned in AIC was great. I got, almost jumped in in that experience. I, I learned a lot. Like I I needed to do more due diligence and asking more questions during the interview process because what I learned is that. I was jumping into a very technical role, and they were very attracted to the fact that I knew a bit about SQL. I could get into the database, and I loved getting into databases to design reports and things of that sort. Um, They needed a little bit more than that, uh, more like database administration type work, and uh, so quickly figured out that (laughs) that was probably not going to be for me long term, but again, it was a great experience. I still, I walked away learning even more of, you know, databases and systems and how everything plays well together.
2: Well, and you didn't have much interview experience probably. I mean, interviewing for a dental hygienist job is not the same as interviewing for, you know, Seabird or Argus or, uh, you know, some of the other uh, places you, you've worked. What was the most fun experience? But what was that one experience or it could be uh, two experiences that really shaped you professionally um, from your corporate career?
0: One of the biggest ones was uh, working for, uh, they're now a part of Abbott Health Systems, but it was e-screen. When I worked there, they were e-screen. They were eventually purchased by Allier. Um, And the woman I worked for, she ran, that was another opportunity where just based on my background, they took a chance on me. And she was a phenomenal leader um, because she she just trusted me from day one, And she had this keen ability to really explain how systems work, but why we needed them to work from a business perspective. So she was able to translate business value and then follow that all the way through to the technical side. And so what was fantastic is that under her leadership, I was empowered to really go be a strong partner with some of the VPs and different business leaders within the company to either enhance or, you know, to z- design different things within the system. And I really became a trusted partner with them and in fact, still stay in touch with a couple of them. So she was pretty pivotal to me because I wasn't like staying in one lane and just focusing on Maybe solving something in the moment. She helped me to kind of broaden and look at things from vision, business value, and things of that sort. And she's also the person who encouraged me to get my project management professional certification. So uh, I uh, think fondly of her.
2: Yeah, no, that's amazing, and I love you know you can tell you're a learner because you know again you you get your PMP certification. you know, learning SQL, doing data mining, business analyst type thing. I, I'm curious about, Seaboard uh, is uh, the biggest privately held company in Kansas City. I, I can't remember what's the the number before the billion in annual revenue just off the top of my head. But I, I don't meet many people that are, work, have worked there. So I know you worked there, you know, 10, 11 months. But what was that experience like?
0: That was a very interesting experience. I mean, that to be a part of, you know, Fortune, I, at the time they were a Fortune 500 company. I don't know if they still are. Uh, I was brought in. Um, actually, this woman I just spoke of connected me with the CIO at the time because they were bringing on a new ERP system and they needed somebody who was strong at building relationships. And so, yeah, you know, I was invited in and it was, Most of my experience, well, Argus, East Green, which was where I had spent the most, most of my time. And then obviously dental field, I wouldn't say those are women dominated areas, but there was much more of a mix of men and women, the dynamics, um, the gender dynamics were more neutral. I guess you could say, I definitely could tell I was walking into an environment that had primarily been run run by men and it was just different. It was, um, it, it took me a bit to figure out how to, you know, where to fit in, how to fit in, how to maybe communicate a little bit differently. But I found, I found, a you know, success in several teams and, um, and, and building relationships. And um, so it, it was a good experience. So I learned, I learned a lot about ERPs and I learned a lot about the pork industry. So, there you
2: go. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, you don't think about you don't think about your food sources, but it was it was pretty a pretty interesting uh, ten or eleven months that I was there. So
2: yeah, it's interesting because I work for Bayer Crop Science, uh, you know, manufacturing of you know uh, herbicides, fungicides, uh, insecticides, all this good stuff, uh, which I really knew anything about, but just. Didn't really have to as a marketer. No, I'm kidding. Um, but it was a very male dominated industry for, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I would say I can't remember how many reps we had at sales reps we had at the time, but I would say at least 90% were male and just, and a lot of the executives, uh, senior level c-suite were uh, male so I, I, it, yeah and
0: I didn't really you know I hadn't really thought about it going into it I don't know that I understood that there would be a difference uh, but I quickly saw the difference and um and and I it didn't make me uncomfortable at all because you know, I'd worked with a lot of software developers, so I was used to working with men or women. but um I think just culturally, maybe there were you know, a few differences like you know I'd always had a little more flexibility. I had young kids at the time, and I had a lot more flexibility in previous roles to kind of try to manage my work around some of that. and um I think Seaboard was um they were pretty traditional in that in that regard, so a little harder to manage life, <laughs> right so. And I, Good company.
2: I, yeah, no. I again, I, it's it, it's it's strange because it's big, you know, in terms of annual revenue, and I again, I think it's the biggest like, private held company in Kansas City. But it's just, I I hardly know anyone I, that works there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. um So you went to Children's International for a bit. Uh, what was, was that? An intentional move to go to a, a not for profit?
0: Not necessarily to go to a nonprofit specifically, but. I think with my experience at Seaboard, you know, it was, it got me further and further away from businesses where you're like caring for people or doing something, you know, like something I was somewhat familiar with. And so there was a lot of change in leadership at Seaboard, which was one of the driving reasons for me to leave so quickly is... That made me, everyone who had hired me in was leaving. So I thought, okay, it's it's probably time to go. And so, yeah, this Children International opportunity came up and I was immediately drawn to it because I thought, wow, I love people. I love giving to people. I love caring for people. Here's another flavor of caring for people and giving back and service. And, uh, you know, I'm very much into like service. You know, service type of leadership, and so it just immediately kind of drew me to it.
2: What was the biggest change? I mean, you work for you know, all commercial type companies, uh, not uh, not for profit. What was the biggest change or biggest surprise going from kind of the the for profit companies to a not for profit?
0: Oh goodness, there were a couple. Number one, it was they were an international nonprofit, and the team I was placed on was they basically served our field offices around the world. So I was suddenly dealing with time zones. Some of the field offices, basically, they had mainly Spanish speaking employees and things like that. And I, I'm not bilingual. So we had to try to figure out, you know, how do, how do we manage through that? And there, we had a lot of bilingual resources, but there was a lot more logistics in like organizing a meeting and getting things documented. And we had time zone differences and um, all of those different pieces. And then the next piece, um, and I would say one of the reasons, you know, project managers were there was that, and this this is solely my impression, but my impression was that you know, they just kind of built things based out of need and addressing needs at the time. And they were getting to be big enough that that infrastructure didn't necessarily work going forward. So they really, you know, they were trying to bring in resources who could kind of get them out of that um, way of operating and and get their systems more up to date and all of that. And so, I was used to more, I guess, a more structured environment as far as just, you know, getting things through the pipeline in an IT environment, you know, you have requirements and you get those, you know, you have like gatekeepers in a sense, you got to get everything prioritized and you write requirements, you get those requirements approved and, you know, it kind of follows this chain and some of that existed, but not to the degree I was used to.
2: I'm going to let you tell the story but I, and I may have the time frame hopefully about right but so from 2019 through today you you underwent a, really a major major life changes so kind of walk us through what was going on both personally and professionally starting in 2019
0: Yeah, absolutely. I may even back up a little bit and go to 2018. So, you know, after a time at Children International, I I I worked really hard for that company and my kids were still young and my spouse at the time was gone a lot and I I kind of just reached this place where I realized if I didn't make big changes that I, I just couldn't keep up the pace. Uh, the demands were too great. My youngest had some health problems that thankfully he outgrew them. But just many, many, many demands. And I I decided, you know what? Um, I think that maybe I'll start exploring uh again, another career, another change. And thankfully, because I had my PMP and You know, I stayed in touch with a lot of a lot of people that I've worked with and for and just started exploring what would it look like if I went back to school full time and use my project management experience to basically be a contractor. And so I actually left Children International to start a master's degree in school psychology, of all things, and I can explain why um, that was the route. And then I picked up a contract job with Hair You Wear, and, which is a great, a great company, uh, privately held. They're located in uh, Lenexa. I can't say enough wonderful things about them, but um, they brought me on to basically kind of help lead their internal team on an ERP project, and they were replacing their warehouse software as well. And so... Um, I would be partnering with these vendors to, to take the, you know, uh, to push the project along. And so I did that at a time or at the time and school psychology, what, what I really was trying to solve for was, okay, how can I still bring in some sort of income, but maybe work a schedule more like my kids. I knew teaching was not for me. Uh, But my my oldest was identified as gifted when he was in first grade. And what's fascinating about those kiddos is that, you know, everyone thinks, oh, gifted kiddo, they're going to get through school swimmingly, like it's all going to be just easy peasy. But being gifted comes with its own challenges. And I, of course, being a learner, had already dove in and learned all these things about gifted kids. And I thought, well, maybe that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be helping children like my son, and then that'll create more balance in my life. And so, yeah, I started talking with an advisor, figured out a way to replace most, not all, but a good part of my income enough that it wasn't going to be a detriment to my family. And, um, yeah, took a leap of faith, started working on my master's full time and hair you wear was fantastic. And then, you know, it's fascinating because I, I'll be fairly transparent, um, as I am with most things in my life, I could feel an unraveling just internally and got into therapy and my therapist was like, you are, you're hyper-functioning. So I learned that, you know, because I'm just a doer and a goer and a problem solver and all of that, I was just simply burning the candle at both ends. And I I really needed to change that behavior. And so interestingly enough, then I'm taking all of these master's level psychology courses at the same time for the school psychology program. And I, I, You know, I think a lot of people get to late thirties, forties, midlife, and they start to realize that maybe they haven't always dealt, dealt with certain things in their life or whatever. And, um, I started to face some things that I had just denied as part of my life. Um, and through that, I started to recognize that part of the challenge I faced was I didn't really have a partnership in my marriage, um, and uh i'm because i'm a, you know i'm a nurturing person and i'm a caring person i often give more than i ever ask for in return and i just knew i was in a situation where that those dynamics weren't necessarily going to change and the only way for me to bring about that change was to start to um confront some, some pieces of my marriage. And unfortunately it didn't quite go the way I thought it would go. And so I, I quickly made the decision that it was time. It was time to, um, file for divorce. So I did that in March of 2019. I'll probably refrain from getting into a lot of the details of the divorce, but, uh, I will just say it was extremely tumultuous and, so from a career perspective, I was still working on my master's degree full-time, but I also returned to work full-time. I immediately went to Hair You Wear, told them my circumstances, and they, were, they said, yes, we want you as an employee. Um, and so I hired on full-time there while I was still working on my master's degree and going through the divorce process. And I'd always been very proactive about my health. And so went in for my normal yearly checkup with my OBGYN and they encouraged me strongly to stay on schedule with my mammogram. Um, For, for me, I, I had what they call dense tissue and dense tissue puts you at higher risk for breast cancer. And so they, I was like, Oh, I just, I need to put it off six months. And they were like, absolutely not. You you, you have got to stay on schedule. And so um, I think I was due in August. So took my kids back to school and um, went in for my mammogram. Long story short, um, they found suspicious areas. I ended up having two different types. I had a, uh, a biopsy and then a lumpectomy. Both showed high risk tissue for breast cancer, which ultimately led me to make a decision to have a preventative or an elective double mastectomy. And that's when I learned that um, I had breast cancer in both breasts, um, nearly stage two when found. And uh, I I call that, that, that was like a God, God nudge or a God whisper. Like if I had not chosen mastectomy, I'm not sure I'd be here today. So, um, and so that was in that was in December 2019. And, you know, I just kind of thought, all right, let's just move on to the next thing. And I my my divorce was still not finalized. And I knew I could not, I, I just emotionally couldn't at the time they thought I needed chemo. And that's that's a whole nother story in and of itself, like my journey and kind of how they decided on my treatment plan for my cancer. But the first team I talked to wanted to put me right on chemo. And I thought, I, I can't have this divorce looming over my head while I've got this health crisis and all of that. And so I'm really pushed to get it finalized. And as part of finalizing it, it meant, it meant that I had to also leave my family home. And so I moved out of my family home just three days after my third surgery. So I had three surgeries in 10 weeks. And I moved in with my mom, I thought it was going to be for about a month while I was waiting to close on a new home purchase. And so that was in the month of March 2020. (laughs) And uh, basically about four days before I was set to close on that home, I was furloughed due to COVID. Um, Unfortunately, Hair You Wear, they they are in the cosmetic industry. They make wigs and hair extensions. And if you remember, the um, hair salons were some of the first businesses to be shut down. And so overnight, their business just Completely dried up, and since I was considered an overhead expense, um, and they they halted all growth related projects. Yeah, I lost my job. So, uh, yeah, so it was quite the journey. But I look back now, and I'm like, okay, I don't want to say everything happens for a reason because that seems really dismissive to experiences that you know for many people. But I look back now, and I'm grateful for everything that happened because everything that's happened since has just been positive in my life
2: yeah i mean i just uh you can't put yourself in anybody else's shoes right uh so but i know you know having undergone divorce myself it's very it's it's just a hard process and not mine was not tumultuous um uh, but it still it weighs on you your, your work life suffers your parenting i i believe you know suffers it's just a hard thing to go through and then you you layer on you know obviously your cancer I mean and then a loss of a job because of covid how did you deal with all those major major life things happening all at the same time
0: um I'm a crier by the way so if I break down into tears <laughs> Just know that that's the first guest
2: that has cried on the
0: on this show. My my therapist calls it. uh, I'm an emoter, so yeah, I just I emote emotion. Um, I'm not gonna lie; it was it was extremely trying, extremely trying. You know, I look at it like any one of those: divorce is hard, breast cancer diagnosis is hard, job loss is hard, loss of a community in your home of 15 years. That's really hard. Um, And it was a very fast decision. So there wasn't time to like prepare for that. And then it was COVID. So the normal support systems I would have had in place, like, hey, girlfriend, let's go to lunch, you know, hey, you know, my boy's grade school, I have some time to volunteer. None of those resources were there. And so at first I just was looking for anything to fill my time. Um, because what, what I did know is that I'd had enough experiences growing up. I'm a, I'm a product of divorce and you know, the reason I was in therapy is because I had some things happen, you know, in my, in my youth that I think just naturally, I, I have this resiliency. So I knew I couldn't just like lay in bed and cry. (laughs) i had these young men you my boys were 9 and 10 and you know they knew a lot of the circumstances of the change in our family unit and i knew they needed me so that number one was was my biggest motivator was my kids um i knew that in order for them to thrive they needed to see me be strong so um So I did a lot of simple things. Like I always got out of bed every morning at the same time and always, I, oh, I got a puppy. That's, a (laughs) I decided to get a puppy during all of this. (laughs) Everybody thought I was crazy. And I'm sure there's a little bit of that in there, but I, I felt strongly like a puppy would offer my boys comfort. And I've learned that, yes, he has, but he was also comfort for me. He also made me get out of bed because I had to get outside, take him out every day. Um, I took him for lots of walks. My boys and I were, we went to the park a lot. Pokemon Go was a big thing. So we did Pokemon Go on the phones, like whatever we could do to get out of the house and just kind of keep things positive. And then I ended up being with my mom for a total of 19 months in order to make a lot of the life changes that I've made so i also had a very strong example in my mother i'd seen her do something similar <laughs> years ago and so i had an example to work from and then i just have an incredible family unit just a broader family unit and an incredible network of of friends and people who you know i could call at a moment's notice and <laughs> break down and you know and I'd break down go through whatever i was going through and I would say the other big thing is I read a lot of books and I really dove into anything that dealt with mindset. So one of the, like one of the most, well, there were probably two books that were extremely pivotal. Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning and Brene Brown's Braving the Wilderness. Those two books, I just, I kind of clung to. And so I would go on long walks with my headphones in and listen to those books over and over until I kind of got my fill of them. So it was a lot of like I started mindset work long before I started working with Kay. But <laughs> and so I I I tell people like I write a lot about my experience and talk a lot. You know, I've told my story several times and I always describe it as a very dark time but now when I talk about it, I call it my white space. Um, because you know, white is bright and light and it's a clean slate. I I literally had a clean slate in front of me and was able to choose what I did next. And how often does a person get that experience or that opportunity in midlife? Um, I, I don't know. I think we all get bogged down in all of our responsibilities and, um, you know, I, I had a little bit of a safety net to kind of, as long as I swallowed my pride and could, you know, decide to live with my mom for as long as I did. Um, but it, it offered me, it offered me a launching pad to be able to really make some big changes. So it was a gift.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's amazing. And your resiliency and grit is, you know, just phenomenal. I, that's, uh, I, I read, uh, Victor Frankl, Frankl's research for meeting years ago. I uh, occasionally would give it out to my team members, you know, when they were stressed. i like, you know, work is not stress; it shouldn't be stressful. You know, it's not it's not what you stand for as a person, right? It's you know, if you think this is stressful, read about you know Victor Frankl being in in the, in the Holocaust and the, in, you know in the concentration camps and things like that. Um, so. All these things happen. The, the divorce, which is not, you know, any divorce is not good, but yours is, you know, very uh, crazy, I'll say. And then the cancer, the COVID, losing a job. And then you go into a just a, a whole different professional field. And I know you have to do something, right? Because now you're, you know, I don't know when the divorce was filed now, but you need your own income and you don't have any because you got furloughed and laid off from... um hair you wear. But uh what made you choose the mortgage profession?
0: Well, so part of what I did with that white space or that, you know, that time I was off was to hire a career coach. And you know, at the time I was going through it, I was like, wow, this is a lot of work, you know, but she had me do all these different exercises and they all had a purpose. But one of the most impactful exercises she had me go through was to write down every single job I ever had, every chore I ever had, every place I volunteered, what did I like and dislike about all those different pieces. And, you know, at the time I was going through all this exercise, I was thinking in my mind, okay, go back to the corporate world, but I'm just going to work on my next certification, right? Like, you know, that learner mindset, okay, just grow with what, with kind of what you know, or whatever. And when I got through that exercise, I learned some really substantial things about myself. I learned, "Hey, I'm I'm really organized. I've got an aptitude for, you know, analytics." Yes, yeah, so I that's I've kind of proven that. Um, I care I I needed to return to something that allowed me to build relationships with people. I needed to get back to serving people like directly, kind of like I did as a dental hygienist. And so I knew that that relationship piece was missing for me in the traditional corporate role. So there was that. And then just because of the demand in my personal life, I mean, I, so I carry a genetic mutation that was a contributing factor to my breast cancer diagnosis, but it puts me at risk of five different types of cancer. So not only was I thrown into the healthcare system for my breast cancer, I was thrown into it for monitoring all these other things. And I had procedures to prevent cancer and just it was a lot and i knew i actually had a job offer but i hadn't disclosed anything i was going through personally and i and i knew the reason they were attracted to hiring me was because i was i was kind of known as a workhorse and i knew i couldn't be the workhorse i had been like i needed to really focus on my family and and all of that so i needed something that i could shape around my life. I didn't, as I say to people often, no longer was I going to shape my work or my life around my work. I was going to shape my work around my life. And so, you know, I had this offer sitting there and I couldn't, I just couldn't, I couldn't find a way to accept the offer. So I kind of went back Um, I went back through everything I'd done with the career coach and. I guess it was even before I had the job offer, I started to just kind of explore, like she had said, okay, now that you know these things that are important to you in your work are in your life, because it was kind of overarching, it didn't include just career, she she said, you know, now go start meeting with people in these different industries. So I met with somebody in insurance and my cousin's in the mortgage industry. And I just started talking with, you know, people, people who've served in HR roles and, it was fascinating because my cousin, I really was starting to explore the, the uh, mortgage piece pretty seriously. Um, But I had a lot of trepidation about jumping from a six figure income to commission only. It was terrifying. And I, you know, I had all these stories in my head about it, meaning I was not responsible and I had to kind of get past a lot of those things. And The fascinating thing for me, and I think you and I have even talked about this, like culture is really, really important to me. And my cousin sent me an email from our CEO that kind of changed the trajectory of everything. My cousin called and said, Hey, I know you got a lot to think about all of that. This is a big leap. I think you might actually really appreciate fairways culture. And I was like, okay, yeah, send me the email. Well, it was a, um, an email from our CEO. He, he started what he calls keep playing and it is a daily practice of, of sending out an email, words of encouragement, mindset related type communication. And, and at that time he wrote every single keep playing story every day. And so my cousin sent me this keep playing story And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the the author, Andy Andrews, but he does, he's, it's a lot about um, mindset. His books are, there's the bottom of the pool, there's the traveler's gift, um, the noticer. He's got some pretty phenomenal books. And I read that email and it talked about Andy Andrews and mindset. And I was like, you know what? I'm supposed to be taking this leap of faith. I am supposed to go to Fairway and I'm supposed to kind of abandon all of the the safety nets I've known previously and trust in myself and my ability to, you know, make things happen for myself and go for it. So I ultimately was like, okay, I'm going to go get my license. And when can I start?
2: (laughs) Yeah, and you and I share. We, uh, I worked for uh, Capital One in their home loan division uh, for about four years, so I know a lot about what the, at least the mortgage industry was back in uh, '05 through '09. But um, like, you've never had sales experience. So were you really, like, were you scared? Like, you always had these, you know, project manager roles, IT, data mining, ERP systems. So what, like, and what was your process to kind of become a salesperson?
0: You know, looking at the looking at the mortgage industry specifically, I knew we talked about the different roles available, um, and so I explored all of them. But you know, the safe route would have been to take more of an operational role or a support role. But the fascinating thing is. You know, I, I like to consult with people before I make decisions. If I'm uncertain, some decisions I just know, and I just go like my mastectomy. I had a lot of people trying to encourage me a different direction. And I was like, nope, that is, we're, we're doing double mastectomy, but some decisions I kind of sit on, I percolate, I have conversations with people. And there are a couple people in my life that were like, look, anything you've ever put your mind to you've done well, and you are fantastic with people. So why wouldn't you be successful? You know, you're disciplined. um, You have all these great habits. Why not bet on yourself? And so I was like, well, okay, yeah, let's do it. And I, you know, my mom had said, look, you guys, you and your boys are welcome here as long as pop or as long as you need. And so, you know, I was pretty prideful. I didn't want to be there longer than necessary, but I thought it's now or never, if I don't try something significantly different now, I'm never going to, so that there was motivation there. And I think I just, I did get to a place where I just knew that if I could, I I was always open to coaching and fairway has a lot of coaching. And so as long as I was always coachable, as long as I was willing to do the work and as long as I kind of tackled everything fearlessly, just like I had with the other major decisions in my life, then this, it was going to be just fine. So, and I, I remember having a conversation with my cousin too, because he, he was like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, you've just been through hell and back. Like you literally have just been through hell and back. Are are you sure you want to do this? And he was like, you're going to have to make cold calls. You're going to have to meet people for coffee that you've never met before. And you're going to have to make conversation with them. And, and I, I just said, I, I were on the phone and I just said, Mark, I know that seems intimidating to some people, but considering everything I've been through, like that's nothing. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, I had to get through, I had to be coached. I had to be taught. Um, Unless I wanted to go back to what I was doing before, I needed to change things up. And so it was it was now or never it was do or die. It was succeed at this or go back to what I was doing before. And I just knew in my heart I like I really, really needed to be able to shape my work around my life um, in order to avoid getting sick again. So um, so lo- I had lots of motivation to make it work.
2: Yeah, no, I, I I love your story. And uh, Lori Seitz, uh was a recent guest, and uh, she does coaching. And what she said is, people know what to do. You know, their gut tells them uh, what to do. It's just the courage to do it. And it just your courage is just phenomenal that you just jumped. I mean, all those different things, and then you jump into a brand new industry as well as a role you've never had before what what if there was one thing in sales that you could have been told earlier you know if you knew it earlier would have been more helpful what what would that one thing would have been
0: i really wish as a young person i would have networked or gotten to know more about sales because i didn't really understand i always thought sales was pushing people into doing something that maybe they didn't necessarily want to do or having to, you know, kind of claw your way towards a paycheck. And I mean, the mortgage industry is competitive. That is for certain. But, you know, what gave me faith, at least as a beginner, was that my cousin kept reminding me that it's all about relationships. It's all about relationships. So, When I thought of it in that perspective, I was like, oh, well, it's just like dental hygiene. I, as a dental hygienist, was teaching behavior change, and I was teaching habits, and I was trying to influence my patients to take better care of their oral health and I never did it in a pushy way and I never did it in an over the top way. I always did it in a way where it was like, hmm, "Hey, I noticed this," and it was more of like a problem solver. And that problem-solving mentality like carried me through all of my roles and it's the same thing I lean on in this role now. It's like, "Okay, how am I going to stand out against everyone else? Well, what problems can I solve? Um, what value can I offer? So it's it's really no different. It has a little bit different spin, but at the end of the day, it's no different.
2: Yeah, I love that answer. That's spot on. So now, kind of things I'll say normalize a little bit. You're you know you've been in the industry uh, but three years, a little over three years. But then you decide at some point, I think you launched in January 23. So this, you know, seven months, six months ago, you start, you co-found a not-for-profit. Tell us about that.
0: You know, in my line of work, there's a lot of networking that we do. Um, You're always looking for ways of connecting with people and back to building relationships. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people probably choose to do that over golf or tennis or a happy hour. And I'm not a huge sports person. I'm more of a creative mind. I'm actually, believe it or not, a little bit on the introverted side. And yet I love people. So it's kind of an interesting combination. But I needed to find a different way of networking and connecting. And I I needed to also find the people that were in, bi- that people like me in business. So very like Servant minded, people minded, soft hearted, and so I thought, okay, well, oh, and I—I I will say I had a little bit of experience. I—I I organized a birthday party for myself in 2020. Was it 2022, 2021, or 2022? At Harvesters, I thought, you know what? Let's get all of my business partners together, and we're just going to go to Harvesters. And it's going to be my birthday party, but instead of doing anything that costs any money, we're going to be giving back. And the crazy thing is I had more people show up to that with less effort put in to organizing and facilitating the whole event than any other event. And I thought, and it was so fun. And we all connected over giving back and hearing about the children, like we were packing, um, we we're making packages of food that go home with kids in their school bags. So we all were just like, wow, let's see how fast we can work. How many of these kids can we, you know, feed um, and serve? And so it was so much fun. And I left there with my cup so full. And I thought, okay. The market started to slow a little bit. I had a little more capacity. So I started reaching out to people that I knew were also civic-minded and um, philanthropic and said, hey, I have this crazy idea. What if we started networking over like service projects? We just started organizing something and they were like, yeah, let's do it. And so we kind of had a loose vision for it. And then we were just, you know, just coming up with the name and the vision and the mission. and And then I thought, oh, we're coming up on the fall. October is... Breast Cancer Awareness Month and um, another project I'm kind of working on is a book and I thought oh my gosh whenever I get this book done which I don't have exact timelines yet but whenever I get it done I'm gonna have to be able to talk in front of audiences about my book but I'm terrified to talk in front of audiences <laughs> so I I basically said to my friends okay what if we organize a breast cancer event and it's mostly networking, but there's this fundraising element for breast cancer patients in the Kansas city area. And what if I'm the guest speaker, because I need to get over my fear of public speaking. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. So we thought it was going to be, you know, 30 or 40 people coming together for this event. So we started to pull in other people to help us organize it. Long story short, just 55 days before the event, there were six of us that came together. We pulled off an event that, uh, a, I don't know what the word is, we, we pulled off an event with about a hundred guests. We raised $16,000 before expenses, about $13,000 after expenses, and I mean, yeah, we had a few glitches, but really, honestly, it went pretty seemingly, like pretty seamlessly, I should say. So it was, it was an un, unbelievable experience. And at that point, we still were going to kind of keep it informal. Like at that point, we were like, oh, we don't need to make a nonprofit out of this or anything like that. We did run into some logistical challenges with fundraising because we had to fundraise on behalf of another nonprofit and. There were some people who were like, we can't donate to you because you're not a 501c3. Like that con we were a conduit, but it made it more complicated. So we lost, you know, some fundraising because we weren't a 501c3. And then I was also approached by we we ultimately donated money to Barack tour KC. That's who we fundraise on, fundraised on behalf of that. Founder came to me and somebody from a fairly sizable corporation, the national international corporation came to me and basically said, you need to make this a nonprofit because you're on to something. And both the from a Brock tour perspective, she looked at it more like, you know, they do this huge gala that raises a lot of money. Usually they're a little deeper pockets with our nonprofit. It's called the Giving Professional KC. We're a little more grassroots. We're middle class who just has a love of service and we want to come together and support each other and support our community and fundraise. It's a little bit different flavor, a little more kind of a grassroots feel and a little more of, you know, a lot of people coming together and maybe making a greater impact in the process. And then the corporate Person basically just like he knows there's money there, but until we have a 501c3, they can't give to us directly. But that's that spurred off conversations of you know, there are so many organizations that donate or they allow their employees to donate like a day a quarter or a day a year to service. And so we're not there yet, but one of our 2024 initiatives will likely be to start to put something together to market to corporations so we can attract those individuals who who want to take their eight hours and surf somewhere. Like we'll have it all organized. We'll have all the dates organized, the nonprofits lined out. They can just come see our event calendar, go pick a place that they want to contribute to, or they can get involved with us and our, you know, our breast cancer event. Um, so lots of options, but Yeah, it's pretty fun so far to to explore where we can take it.
2: Yeah, no, I just love the the way you founded it and what you're trying to do with it. So uh, I'd like to always help two groups of people with my guest knowledge. So the first group is recent college graduates. So uh, we're recording here July 6, 2023. Uh, Young adults just graduated in May. Uh, What advice would you give them? Jennifer, as they embark on their first professional job and and their professional career?
0: Goodness, I would say do not be afraid to explore. You know, I, I came from a family where there were, like, you went into a career and usually stayed in that career, like your entire life. And I think I personally kind of even with all my change, I always kind of carried with me like this thought of like, oh, there's something wrong with me if I change or whatever. I would say to my younger self or to anyone graduating, like, no, it's the opposite. Take the time to explore, take the time to really learn what's important to you in your personal life, in your career, go network with people in different professions, ask a lot of questions. I think Uh, Most of the professionals I know would be honored if a young person asked them to, to come talk with them and, um, you know, kind of explore options and to be a resource. So I would encourage that. And then I would also just encourage, um, to like, just always trust your gut, like trust your internal That internal voice rather than, you know, maybe I think as young people, and I'm guilty of this anyways, I leaned very heavily on the experience of all of those around me. And they all have very valid experience, but it meant that my circle of influence stayed smaller, where if I had had the courage and even just the you know, kind of thinking outside of the box. And it thought like, I'm going to go seek certain people out and really explore this and invest time and energy. I think I probably would have discovered things about myself and where I was going in a career much earlier and saved myself, you know, maybe changes. So, so later in life and not that there's anything wrong with change later in life.
2: Yeah, no, but I think, yeah, we're all on the life journey we're supposed to be on. But as we said earlier, you know, trust your gut and have the courage to act on. I think it's a uh, yes. message here. Um, the other group I like love to help is, uh, you know, so you're, you know, you start out of college, get a job, usually individual contributor, but then you get that promotion or manager now or whatever it's called and uh, at, at, at various companies, you have people reporting to you. What, what ad- leadership advice would you have for them as they embark on uh, being a you know, formal leader in the organization with people reporting to them?
0: So I love that question because I think, and I think we're making a shift, but I think leadership is often perceived one way. It's often perceived top down, and sometimes that is how it's administered, for lack of a better word. I've known enough great leaders now that the the great leaders who invest in people first and taking care of people first are going to get a whole lot more out of their people and be able to serve their organization more fully than any other approach. So I would say, you know, seek out Simon Sinek and anyone that speaks of or teaches servant leadership like that style leadership, I really think is here to stay. And I think, you know, a a new leader is going to find that, that that's going to take them further, both personally and professionally as well.
2: Jennifer, you've been great. I love your journey. And uh, like that sign says on the top of your bookcase behind you uh, here on the Zoom call, the best is yet to come for you. I can't wait to see what you're going to be doing. So thank you for being on the corporate couch today. Uh,
0: Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's been a pleasure.
2: Joe, as you know, I love talking to all my guests. And I did spend a fair amount of time with Jennifer when we were both in K-Blonde's uh, weekly business slash life coaching Zoom meeting we had every Thursday back in the day for about a year, but I mean, just you can go so many different ways with Jennifer. I mean, she's just great in terms of you know her energy, and just from a career perspective, going eight nine years in dental hygiene, pivoting to get you know a job in the corporate world really in the tech space, you know, and she was a learner that's her biggest strengths finders and she learned SQL and databases and analytics and data mining got her PMP and then she pivoted again and never done sales and then became a hundred percent commission loan officer at a time when she I mean you and i have both been divorced and it's a difficult time you know when you go through that process and my divorce was not anything like hers hers was uh, tumultuous i think is the word and i and i know a little bit more than that from you know past conversations with her but it was not a good time and even the year before that she said she was unraveling seeing a therapist getting her masters in psychology cuz she thought that was her career direction And And all that going on at the same time. Yeah, exactly. You know, having that mammogram and then getting a, a, you know, a elective double mastectomy. Then they discovered while they were doing that, she had breast cancer in both breasts, having three surgeries in 10 weeks, losing her job right before she was going to close in four days on a house. And then starting this career, as a, in 100 percent sales, I mean it. I, it's just mind-boggling. It just sounds it
1: really like is. a it just sounds like a movie almost. You know, if, <laughs> I know. If you would have seen and, that in a movie, you would think, "Oh, come on!" Right? <laughs> yeah.
2: And then she got a puppy during this time, <laughs> and I'm like, and having had a puppy, well, now Jeter Jet Palacio uh, is a little over two years old. But having a puppy is, it, takes a lot of work. Takes a
1: lot of <laughs> takes a lot of energy. You stole one of the words that I was going to use that I'd written down: pivot because that seems like that's what she had to do. She would go into a situation, X, whatever it was, and then find out that it wasn't exactly what she thought it was going to be, and so she had to pivot. And, of course, the the definition of the pivot means is you don't move forward. You just change directions, and you start going the other direction, just as sure as you were going in the first direction in the first place. And that's about what she had to do. It's just amazing that apparently all of these pivots that she did was successful. There was the one, and I can't remember exactly what which employer it was, but where she said that she went into the job and then found out that it was much more technical than what she had first been led to believe that it was going to be. So there's a lot more SQL in it, and there's a lot more computer stuff in it. So she just said, huh, this is more technical than I thought. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Pivot and start going that direction then. Just, a, it's an amazing story. Uh, I, would, I would suggest that... Uh, Anybody needs to learn their own life lessons based on what she had to come up with.
2: Yeah, and I will, I will say too, I think throughout, she just had the courage to do things that a lot of people would have not tried to do. It reminded me a lot about Tabitha Scott's uh, journey that I think Tabitha was uh, mm-hmm. episode four, but it, those two reminded me of a lot of each other. Yeah,
1: it's an amazing story.
2: So what leadership advice, uh, based on the episode, would you like to impart on our audience, Joe?
1: Oh, we're going to go to that great philosopher named Pam Beasley, where Pam once said, I hate the idea that someone out there hates me. I even hate thinking that Al-Qaeda hates me. I think if they got to know me, they wouldn't hate me.
2: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.